It's spooky time, uh, but that doesn't stop us from starting this show the way we always do, wherever you are, whenever you are, and however you happen to be listening. We're so glad you've chosen to tune in to DLC, your downloadable commentary for the week, delivered the way we love it to be, and that is completely free, thanks to our sponsor this week, Brooklyn, and they're bringing the show to you, DLC, of course, the show... All about games and their many forms. Games played on desktops, laptops, and consoles. Also games that involve dice, luck, and cardboard. I'm your host, Jeff Canada. That's spelled with two N's and one T. And I am joined, as always, by my friend, slash co-host, slash nemesis. The guy who has one last week to showcase the incredible Spice Man. Oh, hey, yo, what's up, babies? This is the Spice Man, the King of Spice, the Soul of Spice, the deep, deep, deep love-bringing voice of Spice, who can actually be here through Thanksgiving, Jeff. Let's not forget that, that the Spice Man <laughs> oh, no. is here. Is the Spice Man juicing? Is that, what, <laughs> is that what's happening? The Spice Man plays for the A's in the 80s and early 90s. <laughs> oh, no. Spice Man's really changing a lot, but but so many dingers. <laughs> He's just knocking them out now. The Spice oh. Man. Man. wants to be your corporate spokesperson for your brand. I can sell anything. <laughs> Baby! Oh. It's, it, it's, it's like a ping pong between uh, two extremes and I can't handle it. You either um, hate him or you hate him. <laughs> <laughs> hey, ladies and gentlemen, it, this, is, this is it. We're in it. We're in the, the craziest time of the year. Big releases are slamming into us left and right. Huge stuff coming out. Huge stuff in the next couple of weeks. So glad to have you with us to talk about all of it, to talk about the news that doesn't seem to stop either. And the best part of all, we have an awesome guest to join us. You know that DLC always stands for your downloadable Kanata and your downloadable Christian. But this week, oh man, I'm excited because DLC stands for Dev Game Club's longtime co-host. Because from the Dev Game Club podcast, and also, you may know him as the former creative director at 343 and on Halo 5 and many other awesome video games. Mr. Tim Longo is back with us. Hey, Tim. Hello. Thank you for having me. Man, you guys just go. It's just like we're, we're getting ready. It's about times. And then all of a sudden the music starts and then I get all giddy again. It's just yeah. a delight to be on this side. So I appreciate having me on again. Oh, yeah, to thank be you. fair, um, Jeff and I loathe each other in real life we don't like before don't share the secret that before it's just constant bickering and fighting and then that yeah. song starts and jeff and i are like hey buddy but off let's my just say that the spice man isn't the only one juicing you know what i mean, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> no no we uh this is the best time of year this is i'm so excited to talk about video games there's so many to talk about and some interesting juicy news to kick things off as well so let's start the show the way we always do with story of the week Story of the week, it's the story of the week. Story of the week, it's the story of the week. Story of the week is the part of the show where we make our case for the most important stories that happen in the world of games this week. And you can always submit stories for our consideration by sending us an email to dlcfeedback at gmail.com or by visiting our subreddit. That's 5x5dlc.reddit.com. Really cool folks hanging out in that subreddit. So I encourage you to hang out as well. But Tim, you are our guest, so you get first pick of stories. What would you consider to be your story of the week? So I I saw a theme in your guys' stories, which I'm sure you will cover quite well, and I will comment on. Um, so I threw an extra one in that I saw that's a little bit of a wacky one. 
Um, and I swear I'm not um, I'm not a shill for Microsoft in this regard. But uh, there's a, a story that popped up. The Taco Bell is actually doing a promotion with Xbox Game Pass Ultimate, uh, where you buy um, you buy some food there and you get entered to I think get entered in a raffle to win an Xbox One X. But then you also get 14 free days, I think, of Xbox Game Pass Ultimate, which is a key uh, keyword to use there. The reason that I that I chose this sort of wacky one and and not meant to be a commercial was actually for a more interesting reason, in, in my opinion. Um, if you know, we all know we the three of us have been around for quite a while, um, and we all know that those sorts of deals primarily were done with individual games for the most part in the past, and they actually are still being done. Um, you know, this year, right? You have you have your your Mountain Dew, you know, um, you know, partnerships, your Doritos, your your Taco Bells. Um, but this one was interesting to me because this is actually Game Pass Ultimate. Yeah, yeah. You can go into Taco Bell and for five bucks get fourteen free days, and I think there's even a way to extend that beyond just the fourteen days, and you get all of Game Pass. Um, and so I, I just feel like the days have evolved in some way for this to happen, you know, from a business standpoint where, um, you know, somebody going into Taco Bell getting 14 days of Game Pass, that's not a free, you know, um, beta to a, to some multiplayer game, one individual game. That is a lot of, a lot of options. There are a lot of right. content. Um, and I just thought it was an interesting kind of weird sign that I saw this morning when I was looking at the news of like, something that you, we haven't really seen um, before um, or very much of because it was so exclusive to these big blockbuster, single individual, you know, tentpole games. Yeah, yeah. Um, and now it's about the whole service. And I know Christians, you know, um, Netflix future is something that we'll constantly be talking about. But um, I think when Taco Bell starts making a deal with Microsoft for Ultimate, and the, the reason that I wanted to call out the Ultimate specifically is because that includes PC so that you don't even need an Xbox to take advantage of that. Right. Um, so anyway, that's my that's my story of the week. Um, a little weird one. No, it's didn't cool. Pop up on the radar, but from a business standpoint, it seemed interesting to me to call out. Yeah, I didn't. You know, it didn't even register to me that yeah, you usually see those. You know, with Halo or Mortal Kombat or tied in, as you said, to a specific game. But to have it be, you know, you're getting a hundred plus games. And and five dollars of tacos, you know, <laughs> um, is is a pretty big deal. And you know, this brings me to something that maybe you have insight on that we might not. We speculate all the time about what these kinds of services mean for game developers individually, and and how games. You know, if if I'm paying ten dollars for a hundred games, how does that break down for the individual developers? of a game. Do you have any insight on the sort of revenue model? Is that something that's sustainable or is this the kind of thing that's going to start for a, a few years and then going to have to be, the price is going to have to go up or else nobody's going to make any money? Um, yeah, that's a good question. I think to be honest, I think time will still tell. I think that it's still early days for that kind of stuff. And, and I can't get into specifics and, and in, in many ways, I don't even know some of the specifics about the real money behind that stuff. I will say that I think that it's still evolving and they're trying to figure it out. Um, yeah. And so I don't know, will the price stay what it is? I think it's kind of got to, um, but I, but, um, but I think that they still, I think it's irrefutable from a 
customer's perspective that it's going to be something that people will continue to want. I do think Microsoft is, for the most part, putting their money where their mouth is behind the scenes. I'll be vague in that regard. So I think they're trying to make it work. Um, yeah. and, I, and I think offering like something, however, this, you know, again, as I mentioned um, in, you know, in the doc that you run beforehand, um, I didn't know about this before I had left Microsoft. So this isn't, you know, I don't have some insider information. I just saw this this morning. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, somebody's made this deal on purpose to get exposure to those developers, you know, and so the more yeah. the merrier for them. So, yeah, I but, think it's uh, brilliant. I, I, yeah. I mean, I, I think getting a taste of Xbox Game Pass. I mean, Christian and I are both huge fans of Game Pass just as a service because of the the value proposition. And I noticed this week, so or this weekend, so many people are playing The Outer Worlds, for example. And we'll get to that when we get to talk about the games we've been playing. We'll talk about that game as well. But I think, I think The Outer Worlds to me feels like the first time that the Netflix thing is happening in games where so many people are playing it because they already had the service that, it, that it's like, yeah, I'll watch stranger things because, and we all watch stranger things when it comes out because I have Netflix already anyway. And now I kind of want to be in on this conversation of something that everybody agrees is really good. And, you know, it, it feels like it's happening and that's amazing that a game of that size and scope and, and um, prominence, you know, it's a big AAA release. That's a big tentpole holiday game. And people are getting it for free with $5 of Taco Bell. You know, that's, it's, I think that really is a big moment and worth, definitely worth noting. Yeah, it'll hook people, right? I mean, especially something, especially if you're in that, you know, in that camp of loving those RPGs, you know, and and that's, um, I assume I actually didn't check. I assume Outer Worlds is sixty bucks, right? It's a yeah. it's a traditional you know box product game. Um, and I think what what service you guys are playing it on 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 um, Game Pass? Um, what else? It's not on Steam, is that right? Did I read that too? It is on the Epic Game Store and the Microsoft uh, or the Xbox Game Store. Uh, apologies to Microsoft. You change the name of your PC Game Store <laughs> so often. And, and it's also on PlayStation 4. And it's also on PlayStation 4. Yeah, yeah, okay, okay. Yeah. But on well, PC, so it's uh, Epic or whatever Microsoft's current name for their game store is called. Right, <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, the Windows Store or whatever. Yeah, I mean, it, what occurred to me this morning is I don't think I have Ultimate um, Xbox Pass Ultimate, and so I would I'll, I'll play it on PC when I get to it. Um, and so you know, for me, even I was like, well, I better upgrade to Ultimate because I want to play. You know, I, I would have played on Steam probably, um, but uh, but but it's it's it hooks you in because that's a game that's a game that I would get the service for because well, it's my, it sounds like my you need jam. to go you need to go buy five tacos man <laughs> that's true i guess <laughs> i guess i better go there it's working <laughs> darn it uh christian you got any uh any other things to to point out about this story no i think we're going to see more of this right more and more of this type of promotion where it is less about a specific game and more about the package of games right like i, I saw my first in a long time um, commercial for PlayStation Now on TV. Um, I forget if it was during a World Series game or shortly before and after. That's kind of all I'm watching on live TV. But it was like a big live action commercial with like Kratos falling out of the sky and a live action Nathan Drake falling out of the sky and landing in somebody's room. And it's advertising, you know, all these big games you can play on PlayStation Now right now for a subscription. And I think we're going to see more and more of that as the subscription becomes the killer app 
right? Like it used to be what's the, um, Oh, what's the expression? Like the game that sells a console, console seller. I think it's not a killer game. App, anymore. Yeah. Yeah. It's not the, it's not a game anymore. Now it literally is a killer app, right? It's like, it's an application mm-hmm. that runs all this other stuff. So I, I think we'll see a lot more of this in the future as consoles try to, or services try to uh, differentiate themselves from one another. It'll be fascinating long, to track though. How long until I, you know, buy uh, two McFlurries and get a Stadia subscription for a month, you know, that's uh, <laughs> well, I think you'll I buy think- two McFlurries. You'll be told you'll get a Stadia subscription, but then you won't get it for oh, three months oh. after you think you're going to get it. Gonna. And even though you were the first person to get a McFlurry, you might not get your Stadia subscription until a few months after that. And also your controller doesn't work. <laughs> Sounds like. Sounds like one founder is a little disgruntled. Oh, boy. Christian, official founder. Not yet. I mean, I I think I am, but who knows when it will get here per their messaging now. All right. Well, then what, sir, is your story of the week, Mr. Spice Man? Uh, It's got to be, and they're kind of two on here, but I think we can roll them into one. I think it's got to be the delays of games. Um, the biggest game for me or the game I was most excited about is the last of us. Part two has been officially going to be the biggest month. February. What are we going to do? If I got I to gotta clear my schedule. February. There's so many things coming out. Oh my God. All the Ubisoft games are coming out. The last of us two now is coming out. February is going to, it's going to end me. I what am I going to do for February? <laughs> well, the good uh, news is sudden, you're okay. All of a sudden, yeah. Like February has opened up, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> yeah, tell your partner that Valentine's Day is back on. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, Last of Us has been pushed to May 29th. Um, and while... So I think there's kind of a couple stories here in regard to Last of Us. Um, and also, yeah, all those Ubisoft games have also been pushed. Uh, Gods and Monsters, Rainbow Six Quarantine, and Watch Dogs Legion have all been pushed into their, quote, next fiscal year, which is April 2020-ish. Um so I think the story with, with uh, Last of Us to me is the idea that they had just announced the February date. Like you were there as they made a big presentation about it. It was part of their state of play and it was February 2020. And now here we are three weeks later. And yeah, they didn't need nobody. Nobody forced them to n- announce the release date three weeks ago. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I guess maybe that. somebody did, but okay. Someone, yeah, but they could have had that hands-on thing and people still would have been jazzed about it. And that, yeah, I don't think that event would have suffered without it. But the other side of the story is, you know, we talk about it on this show enough, um, the idea of crunch and, and the culture that goes into making these games that we love. And so I think if giving them more time to make the game and hopefully can alleviate some of that crunch, which I'm not sure, I'm speculating here. Like, I, I think it's a good thing in several regards to delay a game one you hopefully make it right and two hopefully you're able to take a breath a little bit and not work people a hundred hours a day <laughs> you know to hit that I february it, release i think it's very funny if the you know the developers on gods and monsters were like oh, really last of us two you got to come out right when we, okay let's let's de- <laughs> let's delay to may we'll get out of the way of last of us two and we'll have more time to make gods and monsters amazing <laughs> and then they, they announce it on their investor call and then last of us two is like we're going into may and they're like son of a you know? <laughs> yeah last of us two crawls out from the bush holding a brick and is like we gotcha <laughs> yeah. uh tim mm. i'm so curious Obviously, you've been on the other side of some very, very big games. I I was baffled by this. I mean, games get delayed all the time, and 
I look at it as a positive thing generally that a game is getting delayed because it means the game's not going to, you know, that they have more time to polish and all those things that you would want. But I'm baffled by the proximity of the first time we heard a release date to we're delaying. It, it, can you understand that or is it, does it seem odd to you? Oh, okay. Yeah. I didn't see you go in that direction. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I can. Um, I mean, I'll take some wild guesses at your particular question. Um, you know, uh, the big shows like like E3 and, and any big announcement, there's so much pressure that goes in with that and so much um, sort of top-down pressure that I think oftentimes <clears throat> developers don't, um, don't have full control over what they would rather say to the public when they would rather say it. Mm. Um, and so I think that pressure ends up sort of um, creating a false narrative for people. And then, um, you know, it could it could very well be that the developers at the time were saying, hey, you shouldn't do this. We shouldn't announce yet. We're not ready. Um, I'm totally guessing. I have no behind-the-scenes information, but been there before. And, you know, just what needed to happen happened <clears throat> from, the, from the organization standpoint. And then down the road, uh, you know, months from, obviously months from that announcement, they're like, no, no, really, this is where we are. We need more time. And then finally, you know, it's like the rubber meets the road. They realize, okay, this, they weren't, they weren't sort of, um, you know, uh, fibbing, you know, to us earlier. They were, they were actually telling the truth and, and they need more time. And so, you know, really the rubber, it's, it's all about what's on screen. It's all about the code. So what, what's there is there. They can't really deny it. And I think Naughty Dog has such a great track record that Sony wouldn't want to mess that up, right? So to force it out to, so, you know, when I saw these, these news items on your list, I was just like, go for it. Like, this is great. Um, good, good for them. Um, and you know, I want to, you guys talk about it often and I think you guys are always good at balancing your, your sort of message of sadness and happiness with sort of with, with, um, with, uh, delays like this as Christian just did. Um, I want to get to a, I want to get to a day where delays are not news, to be honest. They're not news in other mediums. Um, I don't know why there's such a big, deal for games. Um, there, there isn't some situation where I think the game developers owe something to, unless you're in a Kickstarter situation or something like that, where you've, you've, you know, forked up some dough for it. There isn't an obligation that the, the game should come out when it's, um, uh, feasible for both the publisher and for the developer. Um, and, uh, I think it's more the power to them on these delays, to be honest. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting perspective. Do, do you think, do you, from a developer's perspective, feel like pre-order incentives and, you know, the whole the whole business side of pre-ordering create some of that pressure and create some of that, that feeling of entitlement from the purchaser? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And, and I think that's another dysfunctional aspect of, of the business is, is that pre-order culture. Yeah. Um, and as you guys probably know, there, it's very difficult to predict, um, you know, predict hits and, and to know what's going to be success or not. So pre-orders were, have, have been for many years, but though I think that's going away, um, because all these different business models, they were kind of one of the only ways that, that publishers, publishers could have an indication of something that something might be a hit. You know, and so that kind of ran away over the years and got got more and more important to people, right. those, those pre-order numbers. And so then, obviously, once they grow in importance, then meet, meeting your dates of that pre-order becomes more important when I really think the focus just shifted away from the right things onto the wrong things. Um, 
in my opinion. So I'm, I'm, I'm really happy to see, you know, both Sony and Ubisoft have, have been on a roll for, for a while with their first party stuff. And I'm, I'm really happy to see that they're, you know, that they're standing behind their developers and, and giving them the time that they need to be honest. I think the other side, I agree with almost everything you said, Tim, I think the other side of it though, like why delays are news is the same reason that release date announcements are news. Like you can't have your cake and eat it too, right? You can't make a big event out of a premiere or something at like the VGAs or E3 or your own kind of branded event, announce a release date and then not expect you changing that to be news. And I think it is news in other business as well. Like movies when, um, you know, a Marvel movie gets moved up or something gets moved back or moved from Christmas to summer, like that makes the rounds. I don't think it makes it quite as big. There's not as necessarily a big of a backlash to it. And I think that is, I think you hit the nail on the head because the pre-order things aren't the same with movies. It's not like buy your rise of the Skywalker tickets now and get this free thing and buy the hundred dollar rise of the Skywalker ticket and get this thing. Like it's just, Oh dang, I was going to see that. Well, now I'll see it next month. <laughs> you know, but I think right. they, they put that date in you and you kind of build a lot of people. The games are longer. So you, you know, you build your sick days around it. And, uh, I, I understand why the, the idea of a date being moved can, can be big news still. Yeah. Well, speaking of, speaking of sick dates around it, Christian, I know that you were, I don't know how much joking about taking some days off when it was going to be February 21st. Um, but I'm curious how you feel. I don't know if you've looked at the, at the calendar, May 29th is a Friday, May, uh, 2019 is it's a Friday. And then we have that one week. I know and the next week is E3. I, I looked and it is Sony has never been shy of E3. It seems like they've had big releases come out on E3 and this dropping right before. I don't know what, if that says that E3 is officially dead or that Christian's officially not going to E3. <laughs> well, it's, I'm so curious. Like it, so all these big question marks for me just strategically on that, because if it hits that date, it, we had a year where Sony didn't attend E3. Are they also not attending E3 2020? We know PlayStation 5 is supposed to be holiday 2020. So one would assume they'd be back in force at E3 2020 to show off their mm-hmm. new hardware. Do they show, you know, they just dropped one of the biggest games of the entire generation a week before? Are they going to show that game on PlayStation 5 hardware with no load times is that is that part of what we may see there I mean it is to me it it's kind of a tantalizing strategic question of of why that date you know it's right before E3 I'm so curious I, it's going to be interesting and I and yeah now we're all we're going to be all rushing to play it before we all get bogged down in E3 madness yeah I think you've got a window between and I do you kind of hinted at it here and I think we've talked about it on past shows the I do think the PlayStation 5 is going to support backwards compatibility in a big way. And I imagine there will be some way that they will tout how you can play your, you know, whether it's faster load times like Spider-Man they've shown already, like what kind of up or incentive there is to play uh, Last of Us 2 on your new hardware, like kind of give you a reason to upgrade hardware. But there is, there is a window, right, to get this release out before that new hardware launches, even though Sony, I, and I 
I keep not looking this up, but I keep saying it to people. <laughs> Other people look it up and I'm like, that's what I thought. Like God of War 2 came out after the PlayStation 3 came out. Like Sony's done this before and they kind of drop their games when they're out and when they're ready. Um, and, and so this might be another case of it, but the timing, that calendar, those 12 months, they fill up fast, Jeff. You know, they fill up really fast. And they've been on the record saying this is the longest game Naughty Dog has ever made, the biggest game, twice as long as the first Last of Us. And you get now we get a week to play it. I'm just like, oh, man. Oh, boy. <laughs> but, you know, first world problems. Yes. Uh, we should also not give short shrift. I mean, obviously, that's the biggest marquee delay. But we should not get sh- give short shrift to the big Ubisoft delays because those are – those are big, and it's not just one. It's the big – all big games that we know are coming from Ubisoft. Although in that same investor call, they mentioned they have two other AAA games coming in the same fiscal year. But Gods and Monsters, Rainbow Six Quarantine, and Watch Dogs Legion all are being pushed. And they gave a um, so, very different reason for why. Yes, it's because uh, Ghost Recon underperformed. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm wondering how much they're rethinking because Tim, you know, mentioned it and Ubisoft has done, I think they've been on a great track record of releasing some amazing games and then releasing some mediocre games that become amazing games through continued support. Um, But I feel like this latest Ghost Recon was kind of the biggest stinker out of the gate and maybe it might grow into something great, but it certainly seemed like fans weren't willing to give it the same opportunity they did some past games. So I wonder how much rethinking of these other games gods and monsters quarantine and watchdog legions watch dogs legion i put the s in the wrong place all the time i wonder how much they're rethinking that quote-unquote ubisoft formula um you know to making them and to releasing them and getting them out in maybe a more polished state than the original plan was well they straight up said that they thought the reason that ghost recon underperformed both from a sales perspective and from a critical perspective was because it was released too close to a live updated uh, predecessor that the, that its sequel came out too soon, basically. Uh, and yeah, Tim, they just I, you know, I think John Barthaw in the first one and it was like pretty good yeah. missions. <laughs> yeah. And, totally. and Tim, I, you know, I think one of the things that has always been, uh, you know, you've, you've been, involved in the halo franchise so intimately halo stays away long enough for people to miss it and and new releases in the halo franchise feel like a big deal because it takes a few years for them to come around have you always felt that that's a positive uh, an important thing for the franchise to feel important yeah yeah, I mean, in general, yes. Um, I think it depends on the product, though, too. Um, definitely things have changed, you know, um, as as you guys have talked a lot about over the past few years. And so if if your goals are more in the sort of live space, then, you know, it's maybe a different answer um, to your question. But for I think what Ubisoft is generally trying to do with most of those games, um, though, I guess, is quarantine a add-on to that's not a new no, it's its own game it's like a horror take on the oh, rainbow six okay. but it is not part of siege as far as i know and it's not supposed to replace the cg there's not like a sequel to siege it's like this side mm. thing yeah yeah that's that's even weirder to me then um yeah i haven't done enough research on that one in particular so um but you know gods and monsters seems like kind of its own thing and, and a bit maybe not niche but a little bit smaller um 
Although I don't, I don't know if it's if it's a Zelda like, then it's then maybe it is big. But but Watch Dogs specifically is another good example of like, yeah, give it give it space. It should be a tent pole. They definitely seem to want it to be. They have a lot of good people attached to it. So yeah, I've always believed in you, you need to have that room to breathe. Um, and it's a constant debate um, behind closed doors about that. You know, and and it's for good reason because it's all you know the money has to work right. You have to you have to have the money coming in and. If games do take too long, to my point of to counter my point on delays, I don't mean delays without repercussions or with without goals, right? There still should be goals in mind, um, and the the P and L and everything still needs to work. Uh, delays can't happen just just because somebody wants them to, but but if they're necessary for the the greater good and sort of the the longer term planning of something um, like a franchise, like Watch Dogs as an example, though. Watch Dogs Two was quite a while ago, right? As as one example, I think so um, I think it was at least. Three years ago, I think. Yeah, but Ghost Recon is a good example of, of I think somebody who I, I put quite a few. I've, I haven't played the the recent mission that you're talking about, but I put a lot of hours into um, into the last one. And um, do I feel like I want to play some more of that right now? Probably not, because I did it did you know string me along for quite a while. So that timing of, of that franchise stuff is you do need to give it room to breathe. And there's all, there's all constantly talk about sort of that concept of quote unquote going dark with some of these bigger games. You know, you want to have a section of time where you're no, almost people are not talking about X franchise because you want there to be quiet. And I think Kojima's, you know, the ultimate example of that with the Metal Gear series specifically, right? There was, there was just blackout period for a long, long time. And then it pops back up. And a lot of, a lot of publishers don't let that room, don't, they don't give that room to breathe where there is that silence of like, what's going to happen, you know, what's the mysterious next step for X franchise. Cause they kind of just keep it in the, the front of people's minds too much. So. Such an interesting perspective. And I, I love having you on to talk about it. It's, it's awesome. Um, my story of the week is uh, the other big story, the other crazy bit of news uh, regarding Bethesda and what Bethesda is doing <laughs> right now with Fallout 76. Fallout 76, uh, we all know, had a, a relatively rocky launch, um, but it kind of had gained some footing. I know we had actually read a few emails here on the show of people really passionately defending the game and saying and that E3 was big for them, not to jump in, yes. but like they did, they pro they updated a lot of free stuff and really built their E3 about, we hear you community, here's what we're doing. And yeah, people seem jazzed. Yeah. We, like I said, we, we, we actually got direct feedback from people who were saying, Hey, give it another chance. The, the game is really finding a community and finding its footing and, and it's really building from the ground up and becoming something. And I actually was happy to hear that. I'm a fan of Bethesda games. I'm a fan of the Fallout series. And I, it wasn't enough to get me to back, back into it. But, I, you know, I like – I was rooting for it. You want to have these little uh, comeback stories. Well, and then Bethesda makes this announcement this week that is is very strange and seems to throw away a lot of that goodwill, at least from my perspective. They announced a premium service – which costs twelve ninety nine a month, or you can buy a year, an annual fee version for ninety nine dollars a year, and it gives you a bunch of in game doodads, and most importantly, access to what they were calling a private server, so that you can bring some of your friends. Actually, only one person has to actually have the subscription. You can have people that don't have the subscription on your private server. But you have a private server and you get to do certain things with it. 
and you get a bunch of perks in the game. Well, then we come to find out that uh, as with a lot of the stuff with Fallout 76, it all doesn't really work exactly as they said, and there's a lot of bugs. Some of the private servers aren't actually private. Are they they're not new? Are, uh, like, it's not like your new server. It's like this world's been lived in. <laughs> it's like, and you can have your private house. The yeah. other people are leaving. Don't worry about them. <laughs> there are weird bugs like pets going miss, missing, uh, unlimited storage units that actually destroys the things you put into it. Um, p- placing your premium tent, the tent, the special like in-game tent that you get for the premium service, placing that on the ground has for some players resulted in every single player on the server immediately getting booted. <laughs> Uh, you know, bugs, bugs. Um, and this is stuff that they're now charging for. Charging, I might add, a higher monthly subscription than Game Pass, which is a hundred games. Uh, this is for one game and for just some part of one game. Uh, and so, you know, players are justifiably kind of upset about this. And I'm I don't understand this move. Tim, maybe you can shed some light on what this is or express your feelings about what you're seeing Bethesda doing with Fallout 76. <laughs> I, don't, I don't understand it either, to be honest. <laughs> like I, I saw this and I, I just, and I'm, I'm sorry to, to kind of laugh, but it's just such a weird, I mean, I'm, I'm happy. I'm a Fallout fan. I don't, I don't play 76, but I, I love the franchise. And so I, I was happy to, to see that they were kind of digging themselves out of where they started um, over time. Um, but I don't, it doesn't feel like they're to the point yet where they can do something like this, even, even without the bugs, you know, bugs aside, the, the charging for the servers. I mean, I feel like, I don't know if Minecraft is still charging for, ser- for private servers. Are they, they, they may have Minecraft. an option. I don't know. But I'm just kind of trying to think of a community-based game that has private servers that, you know, that would be running separately, that, that the service might need to support in some way, that does cost money, you know, to the, to the, to the publisher. Um, and so that's, one, that's the reason they're doing this probably, because it does cost them money to run these servers. But, but there's kind of a, I would think, a timing element to this. There's a right time to start introducing this stuff when you really have your feet underneath you and you have, a, you know, just kind of build of momentum. Um, and maybe they just kind of predicted poorly that, cause I don't think they have, I'm glad they're doing well, but I don't think they're quite ready for this kind of move. Um, and you make a good point on the, on the price point compared to something like game pass. It just, it's very weird. And, and also I would, I would bet that there's not so many servers that they're going to be requesting that people are going to be requesting that would even, justify i'm sure it's doing well but how many people are really going to you know get private servers um going um so i don't know yeah it's a it's a baffling one to me and the bugs are just it's just it's just too bad because that that's kind of a double whammy for them because the game launched how it did so yeah and and you know you say you think when you are going to start actually asking people to pay money for this extra stuff, make sure the extra stuff works. That's pretty, yeah. It's, you know, it just makes the sting harder when you, when he feels like, well, I paid for this and now, and it's still buggy. Um, I think, you know, we, we were in a world where world of Warcraft cost 1499 a month and MMOs in general were sort of in that $15 a month place, but it feels like in the post game pass, Apple gaming, mm. um, Apple arcade, excuse me. Um, 
world, it just feels like that price point for one game, one experience, especially when it, as you said, it sort of hasn't even justified its existence to that extent yet. It just feels like you had to rethink that. Yeah, there might be something, I don't know. Again, I haven't played, so maybe you guys, I forget how much you played 76, um, if at all, like dabbling maybe in the early days. But maybe there's something we don't know about from a community standpoint where there's just a bunch of server tools that just are, are really necessary for that game to work. But again, I just can't see a $13 or you know $100 a month justification for that. It just seems way out of whack. Um, yeah, especially in this world of all of these game services. Yeah. Christian, what's your take on this? Yeah. I mean, I think it, the it, the easy reaction is to kind of laugh and giggle, but at the same time, it's like laughing at a blooper reel, right? Where y- y- yes, we are human. We will giggle, but it, I, I think it, it's truly unfortunate. It is a game that I did not enjoy when it came out, but was rooting for. And I liked that their approach to E3 was kind of, you know, we hear you, we're with you, we're doing this stuff. And I just think it's super unfortunate they launched with this now. And I think it was, you know, the first person to purchase it lost all their stuff. Um, it's just like, mm. at this point, I'm hoping for a win, right? It's like, I, I'm not watching football this year. Who's like the, the like the Lions of the days of old or the Browns? You're like, just get a win Miami at, at some point. Miami. Yeah. Miami's um, in that place this year. Yes. Okay, they've been there a lot. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, tanking this season. It's okay, not really applicable, but yeah. But it's like that that approach where it's like I would love for this to be a hit, right? And like have people happily give their money and feel like it's worth it. I think that's the part of the value equation. And people in the chat are pointing out, and like you mentioned, Jeff, like comparing it to that um, MMO subscription fee. But it, it needs to it needs to be justified. It needs to be earned. And so I think people that were paying their wow subscription felt like they were getting the content and getting the 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 stuff in the game that kind of justified that and here it seemed like they had a price point and not necessarily content to fill it yet and then the content that is there it's not delivering on its promise and so i think it's really unfortunate i don't know how many more chances you know this game or the next live service uh bethesda game gets that people are going to take a chance on it which is um which is too bad because they have shown that they can make a really great experience um, with Elder Scrolls if given enough time to really make it into something. So I, I hope they're able to find a way and maybe not turn Fallout 76 around, but turn around that style of game or business model where everybody's really happy. And this is right on the heels of them announcing a delay for their big next DLC pack, they're the uh, Wastelanders update that they've been talking about uh just got a big delay it's like it just it just all feels so wrong-headed to say oh yeah we can't we didn't deliver on the date we wanted for that thing that you guys were all excited but we'll definitely sell you something that's also a little buggy and man it's just yeah bummer um all right well let's move on and talk about all the games that are coming out now that we're playing and in, in some older games too uh but first i want to thank our sponsor, which is Brooklyn and my sheets, the sheets that I sleep on every night. In fact, uh, on the rare occasions when we have to put different sheets on our bed <laughs> because both my sets of Brooklynans are in the wash or, or haven't been washed, I am so chagrined. <laughs> it is scratchy and not great. Uh, I am spoiled. I am spoiled by my Brooklynan sheets. This is luxury feeling fabric, luxury feeling sheets in my bed. I love sleep. I'm somebody, I have two young kids. 
I value my sleep more than almost anything. And when I crawl into my Brooklyn and sheets, I know I'm, I, I become, I've become a snob. I don't even like hotel sheets anymore because these are so nice. I'm not joking. I really do. I love them. Uh, and Brooklyn Inn is the whole point of the company is to give you that luxury feel without the luxury price. I was founded in 2014 and quickly became one of the most popular online betting companies. Uh, they were named the winner of the best online betting category by Good Housekeeping. They have rave reviews from Business Insider, Apartment Therapy, Men's Health, over 35,000 five-star reviews, more than any other online betting company, and half a million happy sleepers. Uh, these are luxury sheets, towels, bedding, and almost all the bedding that you get, you'll find, is marked up as much as 300%. But Brooklinen, because it's online, because it's direct to you, can give you that that luxury quality without the luxury price. And they don't just feel great. They look great too. They've got a whole bunch of uh, over 20 colors and patterns. My wife had a really good time finding uh, patterns that she was excited about. I'm excited about how it makes me sleep well. Uh, my Brooklyn and sheets are truly, I will honestly tell you the most comfortable sheets that I have ever slept on. Uh, and uh, their, their towels uh, are great too. I haven't tried the, the towels either yet. I got to get some of those. Uh, but I recommend my Brooklinens to my friends, my family, or just treating yourself. You can you send them as a gift or just treat yourself. Uh, and brooklinen.com is giving an exclusive offer just for our listeners. Get 10% off and free shipping when you use promo code DLC at brooklinen.com. And Brooklinen is so confident in their product that all of their sheets, comforters, and towels come with a lifetime warranty. But the only way to get 10% off and free shipping is to use promo code DLC at brooklinen.com. That's B-R-O-O-K-L-I-N-E-N.com, promo code DLC. Brooklinen, these really are the best sheets ever. Time to talk about the games we have been playing. And Tim, I have to tell you, I am such a fan of your podcast, uh, hearing developers talking about games, talking about the, the nitty gritty of game development and looking at classics and, and, uh, and ga games that are huge and games that maybe not so huge, but memorable. Um, it's been, it's so fascinating. And I think maybe it, means that you've been playing stuff that's kind of older, right? <laughs> right. Well, thanks. I appreciate that. Yeah, Brett, we <clears throat> we kind of consider ourselves the, the delicious dish of uh, gaming podcasts for anyone who <laughs> the Saturday Night, Saturday Night Live reference. Uh, yeah, we're kind of the, the, the... Cerebral. You're a cerebral. Cerebral pop. academic, yeah. Um, but yeah, we... We we get into the nitty gritty for sure. So yeah, unfortunately, because I'm I'm a bit kind of on a break right now, so I'm not really like playing anything hardcore. Um, and uh, so I'm playing mainly for the podcast. So because we play older games, um, Eternal Darkness is our current game. Uh, we like to play sort of a spooky Halloweeny kind of game um, in October. So that was our choice this year, uh, and so that's been fun. Um, and so, yeah, anyone who hasn't, it's, it's actually pretty difficult to get these days cause it hasn't been re-released in anything and the rights seem to be all kind of messed up and such with Nintendo. So you have to play it on the original, um, uh, GameCube, but, uh, definitely if you've never played that one, I definitely would, uh, would, uh, suggest it. It's a really interesting 
survival horror-ish uh, with a, a bunch of extra little things in there that a lot of survival horror games don't have. Um, and cosmic horror. Head, and, that game messes with your head. Yeah, yeah. The insanity meter stuff is really cool. So we talk a lot about that. Um, yeah, so that's been fun. Um, but before that, we played um, our previous game was Doom due to the anniversary. Um, and obviously it was... As you guys mentioned, it was released on a bunch of different, um, you know, the originals were released on Switch and a, and a few other things that, that they had never been on before, um, despite some of the ports and stuff that I think you guys mentioned, um, which was unfortunate. Uh, but uh, And I actually never got around to playing Doom 2016 Reboot, um, or whatever you call that, uh, just kind of just didn't get time when it had come out, so... Um, so I play, we play, usually play a bonus episode to sort of compare the classic game with sort of the modern iteration of that same game. So luckily that, that had come out. So I've been enjoying kind of, you know, playing that for the first time. And that team did an amazing job rekindling what that, you know, franchise was and and is, um, but you guys talked at length over the years about that. So no need to get into that. I didn't want to mention Sigil though, which I forget if you guys had played, any of did you guys play i have not played you know, but John, I, have, I have followed it and i'm fascinated by it um i'd love to get your take on it like how well it fits into that classic game i've heard it really does feel like you know it could be the expansion pack that came out 30 years ago or whatever oh he did a great job yeah we're we're actually i don't want to jinx it but um but uh usually for a podcast we try to get somebody who worked on the original game to come on and and kind of talk about old times and talk about their, their process and stuff. And so I think we're going to get John Romero on actually to talk wow. about, talk about doom original, awesome. but also to talk about sigil. So for those who don't know, John, um, for the anniversary released, uh, released essentially a fifth episode, uh, so to speak for, for the original doom called sigil. And it it's very, very good. Uh, we talk a lot about, I level design a lot of it because that's my background before uh, creative direction. I was a level designer. And so it's something that Brett and I spent a lot of time on and John also level designer um, Romero. And it's, it's sort of like, because when we played the original and I, people, if they, if they care, they should go listen to our series on it. So I won't get into the details, but when you play the original, you see sort of the early days of level design happening, 3d first person level design. And so, so we talked a lot about that. But Sigil's cool because you see sort of if if the people of that time were te- were, were uh, time-traveled back to make the original Doom but had all the sort of modern level design skills that they have today but were using those same tools. And that's what John did with Sigil. Like it feels like a modern version of the first Doom, if that makes sense. Um, he uses very similar tricks that we use today. Um, the, even, even just the geometry is more interesting. There's some light puzzles happening more so than the original. Um, so I, I loved it. Um, I, I played all but the last level and so I'll finish it before we have him on, but I definitely recommend it, um, for any doom sort of fan for sure. But if you're just interested to sort of see where it kind of all started, I mean, yeah, castle, you know, uh, Wolfenstein 3d is there too, but doom is really where, first person, you know, traditional level design really started. Um, and sigils, uh, it's an homage. It's a love letter, whatever you want to say. And John, I, I think it's just, and it, you know, it's free. So it's like, um, the, you know, the digital version. So it's, it's, and I think John has always been good at trying to sort of 
be open and give back to especially the the id community um and and i just i i think it's a delight so even though it's it's doom and i really i'm really hope that you guys can make that conversation happen because i would love to hear that hear you talk to him about it um, yeah fingers crossed it doesn't fall through but yeah i don't want to yeah. jinx it jinx it um yeah I would like. Do you have any any specific examples of, of those tricks you're talking about that 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 separate it, that make it feel modern? Are there any specific things that you can point out that would be yeah. an example? <clears throat> yeah, I'd give you some examples. But again, like we <laughs> we talk ad nauseum about it on right. the podcast. But I think the two the two big ones for me. One is sort of the overall. Like ma- I'll I'll talk about a micro and a macro really quickly. The macro side is like the overall structure of the level is much more modern. And what I mean by that is if you play, and we had the luxury of playing the original Doom back to back with Sigil, right? So we played them like side by side. So I, so they're fresh in our memory, but um, the flow of the levels in Sigil are very s- circular. So you're kind of returning back to areas that you've been through before. And it, and it has a lot more logical sort of sense the way that it's structured overall. And um, those were things that we didn't, think of and do enough of back in the old days because we just didn't know like things were generally linear right and they kind of went in one direction and kind of you know meandered in that direction and they weren't really thought through all the time um sometimes they were but but not always and i think john kind of shows how that macro structure can really be modernized then the other one is he really is really smart with his sight lines in sigil he's just very clever with how how to guide the player um um, you know, moving through um, just from a moment to moment perspective. Um, and I, I don't know if he just did a lot of playtesting with it or, or if it's just some, some of his instincts kicking in. But um, when you're playing, really look for sight lines and how you're guided toward a specific thing because, you know, good level design, that's happening naturally. You're not, you know, it's you, it's happening before you even realize it's happening or you, you, ideally you never realize it. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, I've noticed that, uh, recently, actually, uh, uh, there's been a few games that I felt like I had complete freedom to go where I wanted to go. Mm-hmm. And then I went, well, now I'm just going to get totally lost, but I ended up going the right way. And I felt like that's the magic of good level design is that I felt like I was making this decision. And yet there was an unseen hand helping me subtly influencing me to, to get me to go where I needed to go. Yeah. So that I didn't end up lost. Yeah. Yeah. It's like good direction in film, right? You, right. you don't, you don't want to see it, but you know, it's there. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Awesome. So I hope people listen to, uh, the, uh, dev game club podcast cause it is excellent. Um, anything else you've been playing? Um, I guess the only other quick one I'll, I'll shout out, um, in a totally opposite direction that I've kind of, in some of my um, my commute that I've I've played uh, is Mini Metro on iOS. I know it's a little older. I, I think it's been out for a couple of years, maybe or a year or so. I don't know the original release date um, because they have. I think they have a follow up that's in Apple Arcade, so it's a little bit relevant because that just came out called Mini. Um, mm, it's more yeah, focused it, on streets, I think, than, yeah. than metros. But I, I just. I'm a big fan of like economical design and, and sort of when, when art design and audio all really work together. Well, have you guys played mini Metro at all? I forget. Yeah, I played, I played some of it. I found it very fun. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's it's fun, but it's also just so like slick, you know, it's just the the music's amazing and the, the audio design is amazing. And for anyone who hasn't played it, it's a very simple, like, 
it looks like the metro map in London or France that's just this top down sort of you know lines um, colored lines, but you're actually manipulating the lines yourselves and 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 kind of connecting the stations as you're kind of getting the people to flow through the world, and the people are represented by essentially just um, uh, shapes. Um, primary shapes. And so it's very slick um, and almost like um, uh, meditative, you know, to play. So I've really been enjoying that if I just want to kind of chill out, but it, but it's, it's just really elegantly designed. So I wanted to give a, a quick shout out to mini Metro. Um, I haven't played the follow-up yet. Um, I want to ask you guys later about Apple arcade. If either of you, I forget, I'm a few episodes behind by the way. So I don't know if you guys have talked about it before, but um, well, Christian has definitely put more time into Apple Arcade than I. I find it a, a, a bit overwhelming to be like, here's 70 games. Mm. Uh, you know, go ahead. <laughs> so yeah. I, I, I also, I just haven't been gaming on my phone as much anymore. Um, I find myself just not interested in using that platform to game on as much, but I have it because I have the new phone, so I got to get onto it. But Christian, you you have been doing a lot more Apple Arcading than I. Yeah, and I've actually just changed my approach to it. I think because of what you said, Jeff, I found it being, <clears throat> excuse me, I found it so overwhelming and they have done a good job of adding interesting games. I don't know if it's weekly or not, but it seems like on a fairly regular cadence that I'm like, ooh, I'll download that one and I'll add it and I'll download that one and I'll add it. And then I realized like I had 20 games on my phone and I found myself playing the service less because I would do the equivalent of like channel surfing or like, you know, like just scrolling through Netflix. It needs to have a, a, like a portal. It needs to be like the Apple arcade button on your phone. Mm. And then you go to that and then it's like, it's like steam or something, you know, it feels like it's its own place and you can see all these cool things and it can surface cool things. And it can feel more directed. I think if if Hmm. they did that, I don't understand the idea of just, this shotgun approach of, you know, drinking from the fire hose onto my phone. I, I don't, yeah. I don't like it. And so what I've done now is I deleted all of the games off my phone, except for, well, I was going to pick up my phone and double check, but my phone may or may not be streaming a baseball game right now. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I deleted all of them off my phone, except for like the three I'm actively, you know, playing and I want to air quote beat them. Like, finish them before moving on to the next because what i found myself doing was playing five minutes of this and five minutes of that and all oh, that's fun but oh look at this oh this is a new one i gotta play this and then i don't really play or enjoy any of them you know i'm just kind of overwhelmed so um yeah. right now the one i'm spending mm-hmm. the most time with is bleak sword still which i adore and i really do like it so i want to finish it i want to see it through and i think right now because there are so many good games on apple arcade that I haven't been giving any of them enough time. So I'm trying to dial back my approach and I'm just going to play one until I, you know, beat it or am sick of it and then move on to the next one and not try to dabble in all of them. Cause then I'll, I won't play any. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. I was browsing it t- tonight, kind of just seeing what all the games are that are on there. And I want to play a lot of them. There's but, a lot of good I'm, stuff. I'm overwhelmed just looking at the trailer, you know, yeah. for them. Yes. And, and I'm just like, Oh yeah. man, how am I going to find the time? Yeah. Uh, so I don't know. If only there was some way we could sum all that up. <laughs> there it is. Yes. I was games. actually the, there was just an elaborate segue. I wanted to, you wanted you to play that. So I was trying to build it up to try to make it happen. <laughs> I did it. Uh, well, Christian and I have both been playing the same two games this week. The same um, two Outer games. Worlds. 
which is, it, I mean, we're in full on too many games town right now uh, with all of the things to play. Uh, and those two games are Outer Worlds and Call of Duty Modern Warfare. Uh, Christian, where would you like to start? Um, let's start with Outer Worlds. Okay. Yes. So Outer Worlds uh, is is the game that won our best of E3, our favorite game of E3 uh, as a show in 2019. So we were both really excited about this game coming out. I mean, there is not anything that is more my wheelhouse than this kind of these. This is the kind of game I love: big, sprawling role playing games with interesting places to explore, lots of quests, and lots of inventory management. I mean, that is just my jam. Uh, and it's from Obsidian, who has a track record of making very excellent games. Um, it, games very much in the style of Fallout. Games, you know, an actual Fallout sequel they made, and they made a sequel to a Mass Effect or a port, of, or not, yeah, sort of uh, in that world, that Bioware world. So they, you know, they are one of the major players in these kinds of role-playing games. Christian... How do you feel about Outer Worlds? I adore it. So I should say up top, I, I maybe have spent more time with it than you, I th- think. Um, I was given yeah. a code. Um, I'm playing it on PlayStation 4, which is where I got my c- first code. I'll be annoying and say first code. I was really, really liking the game. And I was talking to um, a press contact saying how much I liked it, saying, I think I'm going to buy it on PC because I wanted to see how pretty it can look. And they were very. Don't you have it for free on PC because of Game well, Pass? I, I, it was before it came out. I don't know. The hard part about Game Pass is I'm not sure if it's on console or PC Game Pass. Listeners, check because it's not always one to one parody. I'm because of my first world problems of getting a review code. I'm not sure. I cannot answer that question. I did not look it up. But I was given a a code for it on PC as well um, before it came out and started spending time with it on PC and realized now I'm never going to finish it on PS4 because I keep playing it on PC. Um, but I put a lot, I have not finished a playthrough yet on PS4 because my PC version distracted me and I'm playing very differently on PC than I am on uh, PS4. Um, I absolutely adore this game, Jeff. I think it is fantastic to me. It combines the choice and dialogue and character building of some of the best Bethesda or, as you mentioned, kind of that Mass Effect style of of your choices having impact in the world, that Bioware approach. And and the worlds themselves, to me, feel like they have a a mix of like Bioshock Infinite, kind of like corporation, overlord, neon, kind of like futuristic, but yet oddly familiar aesthetic combined with something like No Man's Sky when you're kind of out in the wild, so to speak, just truly stunning and gorgeous. And then I really... Also, you know what it has a hint of also? And this is a Wayback Machine reference, but Space Quest. Oh, yeah. Oh, no. Because it has a a sense of humor all the time. And like I really haven't seen that kind of humor in a... There was... Headlander yeah. ha- had that recently. This is like a big sprawling role playing game that has sort of like space questian sense of humor and and parody that's infused in its DNA. Yeah, and wow. I should say this now as our listeners, thank you to chat uh, Red Sky and Reef Jackson. Outer Worlds is on Xbox and PC Game Pass. So yes, um, yes. I had it on PC because it, before 
um, game path. But yes, in, in that sense of humor too, Jeff, to continue on that path is it's not heavy handed, right? Like in whether or not the humor in Borderlands three or any Borderlands is to your style, I think you can agree that it is very in your face humor, right? It's like joke, joke, mm. joke. And this is a world where there is stuff that is bitingly funny, but not in your face about it. They're not slapping you and being like, here's a joke or like that type of approach where you're just walking in a world and you might not notice anything. There's signage on buildings that would live in that world the way they're developed, but also are so funny when observed, especially depending on where your character is in that moment and the conversations, the characters. Another reason I haven't finished a single playthrough uh, on this game yet is that I find myself wanting to do the side missions because I find the characters to be so engaging and interesting and, and funny. And the biggest thing for me, I think was really pulled me into this world aside from the stuff we've already mentioned is the fact that it has, and who maybe the end at some point it will ruin this for me, but it, it, it doesn't have the problem I have with so many of these big RPG games of, you got to go save the world, but go fix this toilet first. Now go get this wool. Now go cut down this lumber. Now this toilet's broken again. Like the way that, and I don't want to spoil it for people, but the way that you are entered into this world and this universe, at least the ways I've been playing it, my approach to doing all of these side quests and missions and exploring the world feels very organic, like the way my character would do them. And I'm not ignoring my beloved son for a, for a hundred hours. And I find that so refreshing that they're giving me a world to go and explore in and allowing my character to do that. I absolutely love their approach they took. Hmm. I was yeah, going to ask because I feel like Christian, you, you do usually bounce off of those big sprawling, you know, I don't know the fallouts or the Skyrims or something. And I was going to ask what was different about this one. Cause it feels like it's in the same vein, but that answers it, I guess. Yeah. And the other part and this might, and Jeff, I'd love to get your take on it. This might disappoint some people, but to me, this game is the right amount of big. Um, I've heard, mm-hmm. you know, it's like 40 hours kind of thing, but there's, there's not base building like fallout. I got fallout four. I got, distracted there was too much to do it became overwhelming and and yes this game there's workbenches and you can mod and tweak and you have a you know deep character customization but i feel like it is more focused than what some of these rpgs have become in my opinion so i find it very refreshing to know that i'm not building uh, a habitat onto my ship and, and I need to do this and that this other people are now dying. So I got to go do this to defend this horde because it's also a tactical, you know, tower defense game. And it's also a, a farming game and it's also an RPG. And also you got this end of the world thing. And also it's a shooter. Like I feel like outer worlds has taken learnings of those games from the past, you know, whatever it is, 20 years and really solidified what they can do well in a different genre. This feels like the open world or open hub RPG version of Horizon Zero Dawn to me. Like maybe nothing incredibly new or brand new that they're inventing. Horizon Zero Dawn is open world. <laughs> yes, but that's more of like an action-y third. I don't know. They seem like different genres to me. But the point I was trying to make is that it does everything that it does so incredibly well that it's um, 
yeah, I mean, it is. Who knows? There's still a couple of really big releases this year, but Outer Worlds right now is is comfortably in my favorites of the year. I I love it. But Jeff, I want to hear mm-hmm. your take because I've just been singing its praises, and I can keep going <laughs> if I need to. Well, I will. I will echo most of what you're saying. I, I have not played it as much as you. I uh, I am allowed to say that I have Death Stranding, and mm-hmm. I have been playing a lot of Death Stranding. I'm not allowed to talk at all about it. The pain of death stranding, but, um, (laughs) but next week I get to talk about it. I'm very, very excited. I will talk about it next week. Um, but it means that, uh, I have not put in the hours to this game that I would like. Um, I mean, this is classic. So, you know, that's just, that's just where we are right now. It's the end of the year. It's we're in too many games land, but I will say the hours that I have put into it. Totally agree with you, Christian. It's fantastic. It, so I love the Fallout game. I love Elder Scrolls. I love the Bethesda games. I love Fallout. I put many, 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 many hours into all the Fallout games. Love, love, love them. But if there was one thing I would change about the Fallout games, the setting gets a little... Mm-hmm. It's heavy. You know, it's, it's yeah. heavy. It's wasteland. It's all drab and gray and broken and nothing's pretty. And I mean, there's moment in fallout 4 where you get to pretty town and that's all there's spoilers for fallout 4 but yes you know it, when i got to pretty town ta- pretty town in fallout 4 i was like yes i like this this is great um but you know at a certain point it's just like i want to be not in the wasteland i want to see sci-fi done with sci-fi that's this game mm-hmm. i mean this game you get to see cool stuff Fallout is a shooter, at least Fallout 4 really sort of embraced its shooterness. I love the VAT system. I love the VAT system, but it really is a shooter. But you're in the wasteland with all these sort of crappy, cobbled together guns that don't work great. You have to crank them and wind them. And then there are some laser pistols you get, yes, and some cooler things. But for the most part, it's it's all not the best version of it because you're in the wasteland you're post-apocalyptic you're dealing with cobbled together tech with outer worlds you it's a rad shooter you get awesome guns you get really cool abilities they do an awesome job with making your companions feel interesting and helpful and customizable it very much borrows from that mass effect idea of having two companions with you and you create this trio of complementary skill sets uh and I love that. I love being able to super specialize my guy. One of the things I always struggle with with games like this is like, oh man, I love being the stealthy hacker guy, but I also really like being the super charming, charismatic, uh, persuasion conversation guy, but I only have so many points to do, so where am I going to put them? This game lets you bolster your weak side of your main character with awesome um companions that actually and that's if you want so from someone who's done most of one playthrough and a decent part of another they feel vastly different which i think is uh, oftentimes these games promise that but so far i am playing them very differently and the repercussions are felt and also that goes with yes you can have your companion comp uh, fill those holes for you or you can just be a bunch of gunslingers, <laughs> yeah. like hack. I have no need to hack. I'm going to kill everyone in here, and then I'm going to blow up this safe, which is also really the cool. cool. Thing too, I've never really seen a game like this 
that has figured out a way to make the non-combat um, skills and 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 talent point investment pay off in combat. Mm-hmm. For example, I, I the character I'm playing on my my main playthrough, my only playthrough right now, um, is very charming. Is super charming. I, I like being able to persuade people, lie to them, convince yeah, them know, things Jeff. just by talking. Mm-hmm. Yep, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, just like Nailed IRL. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh, but because I have such a high charisma stat and and have a bunch of perks in that. I also have a chance when I shoot somebody of them just deciding to not want to fight me for a little while. Hmm. And it, it procs pretty often actually. And it, it really does play out in the context of, of the shootout. It's like, Oh, it's not like, Oh, I put all my points in this thing. So I'm just a terrible, terrible in combat. No, I'm, I'm good in combat and just in a completely different way than somebody who has awesome shooting skills. Uh, and I think that's really clever and I've never really seen anybody figure that out like that in one of these games. So there's, there are really interesting design decisions across the board. It's a pretty game. It's hard playing it back to back with something like death stranding or, uh, call of duty, modern warfare, you know, ray traced on my PC. It's not in that league, but it's certainly a lot prettier than fallout is. And I mean, it's a very pretty game. I think if I only, if I had to come up with any gripes about it, the load times are too long and too frequent and you have to go in and out of places a lot, just like in all the Bethesda games. And it, this game doesn't even give you a little status bar when it's loading. I, I really just want a status bar. Just tell me how so, close I am to being. With this. I don't know about every locale, but that gets better. I found as you progress, but uh, I also, that's one of the reasons I wanted on PC. I am playing it on base PS4 <clears throat> And in the, your, my first location, uh, I agree, you're kind of go here, go here, go here. Like the mission would have you go back and forth, back and forth. And I timed it and I was consistently having load times around 60 to 70 seconds, which is long enough you're on, base PS4. on a base PS4 to have me pick up my phone yeah. and, you know, be distracted. On PC, those same load times were five to 10. Yeah, well, it's better. I mean, you have an, and you also have a very I nice do, PC. But, I mean, I think we can both say, go to Taco Bell. Get this game, <laughs> you know, like yeah, for sure. And I, I'm very much looking forward to just you know about a year from now when I'm told I understand that we will stop having this conversation because load times will just be a thing of the past. <laughs> I will just be happy that there are no load times solved. Anymore. Yeah, I hope, man. I'm ready uh, for that future. Developers will find a way to make them longer again. <laughs> They'll just add more. We always add more. There's no, there's no end of any of that. I, I don't know if you guys know, but um, I've been fa- – so Tim Kane and Leonard Boyarsky, are, they joined um, Obsidian for this game, I, I understand. And so they haven't been – and of course, it takes a team, right? So all of Obsidian's great. Um, so I don't want to say they're the linchpin to this, but they, they moved over to – and I think Leonard was at Blizzard for a while, but they've kind of been not doing much. Um, and so I followed them because they were the original um, folks behind the original Fallout 1, mm-hmm. which I loved. And I'm not plugging our podcast, but we did have them on when we did that game. <laughs> so if you want to hear their interview. Um, I've heard but, it. And good. Leonard's the art guy. Plug it. Go listen to that. 
I listened to that too. Yeah, it was great. Yeah. And and I followed them through Troika when they did that Arcanum um, RPG game because I love these games as well. And so I was really wanted to hear what you guys had to say because they're kind of back. You know, those two are back together making what they love to make. And it's kind of a modern version of that. So, and then you throw Space Quest in there, which we also did a thing on and had Mark Crow on. And so like, I'm like drooling right now. I can't wait to play this. It's one of the two guys from Andromeda. I know. Yeah. Like we talked to him. It was the two, one of the two guys. I was beside myself. Well, the other thing, since we have a, a developer here, one of the other things that I want to throw out to the gaming universe is, um, can we get to a place with these games? I, I understand why it's done, but it always bugs me that when I get into conversation with an NPC in one of these games, we zoom in on their face and they maintain eye contact with me <laughs> nonstop. They are staring at me, having a whole conversation. That's because you're so people. charming. What are you talking about? <laughs> Christian's like, that doesn't happen in my game. <laughs> yeah. No, but like, that's not how human beings communicate with with each other. I, I was yeah. I was so happy seeing um Assassin's Creed Odyssey, for example, how they did a discuss. It was much more cinematic. I mean, it was still two people standing in a place talking back and forth. It wasn't exactly, you know, um, West Wing walk and talks or anything like that, which I think would be a wonderful thing for video games to get to. But it, it at least felt a little bit more realistic and dynamic and we had angles and it wasn't just like zoom in on a face, stare at a person, listen to VO while we decide what responses we want to have which is very video gamey and fine it's fine but i would love for us to just realize that human beings don't stare at each other when they talk they're you know they're not exactly perfectly squared off looking at each other when they're having a conversation you know it, it just i think it's a a next step in making those feel more dynamic and interesting and less like i'm now interfacing with a human that i'm more having a conversation that's naturalistic so I'm hoping. I'm hoping we get to there. Anyway, <laughs> that's my taken. only really my only, my only other gripe with this game. It, it is it is very very good, funny, fun. The 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 locations are interesting. I'm I'm incentivized to explore and find cool things, and uh, you know you can upgrade your your weapons. You don't have to just replace everything all the time. I think the inventory system is done really well. The action is done um, well. I think I find the shooting. While I know it's an RPG going on behind it, it feels more – it doesn't handle quite like Borderlands or Call of Duty we'll talk about here in a second. But it, to me, it handles a lot like a shooter. And I like their – I really, really like their approach to the VAT system where it's not stopping, but it's slowing it down. But I can see what my tar- – like I'm gonna, this will blind them. This will you know slow them down. So that I have a brute over here, so I'll slow down time, shoot their legs, slow them down, focus on these – uh, people close to me and the weapons later in the game become really fun and creative with some of the powers that you can kind of mix with them. The Outer Worlds to me is an absolute, absolute triumph of a game. And I'm very excited to see what Obsidian does. And the other thing I should notice too, that I haven't experienced any um, jank, right? It's like for yeah. this, these big RPG style games and <clears throat> Fallout New Vegas had its problems um, when it launched. This game, I haven't encountered any the load times are long. The only other nit I can pick with it is that playing on my TV, I'm swinging a chair close because the fonts are a little too small for me to sit far away on my couch. But I mean, that's it. This is, you know, I'm good at nitpicking. <laughs> well, keep your chair there. I'm not going to, I can't talk about Death Stranding, but there's another game that I'm playing where it's like it commits 
font murder on your eyes. Yeah. Uh, but I, but I'm not talking about uh, anything specific. Um, talking about call of duty. Uh, we are going to transition to call of duty. I will. I just wanted to say, because you brought up the time slow-mo thing. I dig it. I still prefer vats. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I, I, I know you can't just straight up steal vats, but I wish people would just straight up steal vats. Cause I still, I still prefer I, it. And that's where I think, I think some hardcore RPG fans will maybe like outer worlds a little less than fallout because of what I mentioned. Like, it doesn't have the base building. Um, as far as I know, there's no romancing in Outer Worlds. So I do think it's a little scaled back. And to me, Vats felt like much more of a hardcore tabletop RPG style thing where it's like, I see the risk reward. I have the percentages. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and so yeah. I, I, I personally really like that Outer Worlds games that, or, you know, video games out a little more it feels more shootery so to me that feels yeah. more compelling but i totally understand that i bet a, a good part a number of gamers feel the way you do yeah you still are able to do the sort of the same things that you get with vats where if you hit them in the head you can blind them if you hit them in an arm you they prevent them from using that arm etc cetera, etc cetera. you just have to do it yourself you have to aim at the arm and you get to slow down time and do it so yeah you're right it's more arcadey that way but i you know i like vats but yes home run for Outer Worlds from what I've played so far. Um, and I, I'm very much excited to return to this when I finish some of the things up because I think it is uh, one of the best games of the year, for sure. All right, let's talk about Call of Duty Modern Warfare, which we both played on PC and we both have those ray tracing cards, Christian. We got that. We got all those rays traced. Uh, I have the uh, 2080 Ti. You have the what? 2070 Super. And yes, this game is ray tra- We both received codes for this game. Um, this game has ray traced shadows, so it's not everything ray traced. Um, not like glass and reflections and stuff like that, but the the real time ray traced shadows. It certainly seems like a showcase for that technology. The light in this game. First of all, the game. Look, I mean, playing on PC playing on a very high-end PC with a very high-end card. Uh, so obviously, grain of salt. I don't know how this game looks on console. It is utterly jaw-dropping on my rig. It, it, the, I mean, it is almost photorealistic many times. And I'm playing uh, in an ultra-wide. It supports ultra-wide. It supports ultra-wide completely, which some games will let you play an ultra like Borderlands 3 for example will let you play an ultra ride but then every time a cutscene happens it cuts off the sides because right. the cutscenes are either pre-rendered or made to just be you know on a regular uh, screen this game I don't I would love to see how it looks not ultra wide because the cutscenes are it looks like it was made for ultra wide they it places the characters on far away from each other and the camera is perfectly framed for ultra it is incredible i've never seen better human models in the cutscenes. they look like real people it's i mean it's almost not even uncanny valley it's almost just real and the light the way the game handles light and uh, smoke and fire there's a lot in the early levels a lot of uh you're in the dark and someone's shining a flashlight through smoke it's like it's utterly incredible how real it feels how just like I'm watching a movie I'm, I'm living playing through a movie and specifically showing me the way light is impactful in a game or can be impactful in a game like this where 
I don't know where the enemies are. They have flashlights. I, I have a flashlight. There's a scene early on where you walk through a tunnel and someone sparks up a, a, um, a flare and it's like, ah, it's all reflected red inside this. It's just, yeah, retracing. Let's, I'm excited for that too. This is amazing. Beautiful. I mean, one of the most beautiful games I have ever played for sure. I agree. And I think before I can really start talking about the game, I I need to say I don't approve of Activision Blizzard's approaches to freedom and democracy. And for a game that is built around um, fighting for that, I find um, the company's actions very distasteful. And I am shocked at the position they still find themselves in here the week of BlizzCon. Um, Yes, the company's uh, made bad decisions and continues to make them, it seems, in that regard. Um, I agree. I find the game beautiful and stunning. Uh, my problems with it and that beauty, and I've looked online and I guess it's common. I'm curious if you're getting it, Jeff. The, I, the cutscenes are all very hitchy for me, like tons of stuttering. Yeah. And it stinks because they are like the in-game graphics are gorgeous. Uh, you know, 60 frame, whatever it is, right? Like I'm not having a problem with frame rate in game, but then it goes into the cut scenes where the graphics are kicked up a notch. Like they are a little better. And it, and I don't get that. I get where it'll just come to a grinding halt for a second as if it needs to catch up. It's almost like um, I'm streaming something on Netflix and it has to pause and, and reload uh-huh. And then it'll go and it won't have a problem again, but it will definitely grind to a halt. And I'll be like, "Uh Oh, am I crashing? And it doesn't crash. It just Mm. picks up again. And uh, I don't understand that. It is not, not ideal for sure. It is not great. It is very annoying. Yeah. Um, But cutscenes themselves are just. They're stunning. I I get several hitches per cutscene. It feels like, and then this is my single player review. I understand a big part of this game is it's multiplayer. And I talked about, how I see the 2v2 mode um, being very popular and has the potential to, to do really well for esports. And I played the beta of that. Um, I have learned personally as a gamer that multiplayer isn't where I live. It's not, it's not what I enjoy. It's not how I want to spend my time. And I am very, very close to the end of the single player campaign, which for me will clock in around five and a half hours or something like that, which is on par for this type of game. Um, while I find it beautiful, I do not like it, unfortunately. I find that it is it, it it tries so many emotional shortcuts in its storytelling that I find it almost does nothing well. It it's like trite tropes of this is a brother and a sister and a flashback, and now we're gonna watch this person die, and now you're here and you're this person, and here's this person, and this person lost their mom. You have a mom, you know what it feels like to lose a mom, don't you? And also here's this person, and this is an explosion, and this is a tough decision. Are we gonna kill innocent people? That's that is tough. I mean, you have to because the game tells you, but tough decision. Okay, now you did that. Now you're blowing everything up. Doesn't that feel cool? Listen to this song. Blow it up, baby. Blow it up. Now you had a dad, didn't you? <laughs> Guess who dies? Dads die. That's emotional. Isn't that emotional? Now high five this dude. Yeah. You're just saying like it's not it's not earned. It's Correct. it feels it's, like it's you not given enough time to actually you're expected to feel it only because they tell you. Yes. And yes, a hundred percent that. So narratively, I feel like it's a letdown in that regard. And then I was, as I was playing this game and there are other games that um, likely do this as well, but as I was playing and trying to critically examine this game, um, I really think it walks the line between 
me playing and having agency or freedom. Again, this is just single player. Multiplayer is a very different beast. And having agency or freedom and me literally, like the joke for old Call of Duty was press X to mourn. And I feel like so much of this game, and I don't think this is new to the franchise, but I've done it so many times now, I'm less impressed by the literal smoke and mirrors (laughs) in these games because they've been beautiful for a long Hmm. time. Um, But I, I find that I'm not really choosing what to do i'm just doing what the game tells me to do run over there get this gun shoot that thing now run over here blow up that thing run over here go in the hallway breach this door shoot those guys run over here get and it's there aren't multiple ways to do things me picking up different guns along the way doesn't seem to really affect how i play things when i need the sniper the sniper's there i'm gonna do the sniper when i need the you know drop the missile i'm dropping the missile and it was really interesting and i think if the game gave me more agency or creativity in the the play style, that said the left trigger, right trigger, silky smooth, very responsive. Um, but if it gave me agency over those decisions to like flank or, you know, choose the way I want to engage in this combat, I'd find it more interesting. And I, the story wouldn't hit me as trite as much as it does. Or if the story really pulled me through, I would say, view it more as like an interactive narrative where it's like, yeah, I don't have real agency over my character, but my God, I need to see how this story ends. But I think because it's doing those two things in concert, which again is not necessarily new to the single player franchise. um, I find that the story isn't engaging. It's just telling me things that, you know, this, and it's not even a great action movie in terms of like, you know, pick your war movie that that is engrossing and engaging. And then the gameplay itself I find very linear and am I playing? <laughs> you know, like all I can do is fail. And by succeeding, I'm just kind of playing Simon. Uh, I'm kind of bummed on it. And I don't know if it's the game hasn't changed or if it's that I have. Yeah, I've always viewed this series as a roller coaster ride. And I guess I didn't have the disappointment that you had based on it not being that. You know what I mean? Or, or, you know, wanting it to not be that because, you know, here's a series that the last iteration didn't even have a single player mode at all. And I only, I've only really played these games for the single player mode. I'm not that multiplayer guy. So I was excited to revisit the multiplayer. I, it is so pretty and that, I mean, I'm, I'm shallow. I freely admit I'm shallow, but I, that alone is just like, man, I want to keep playing this because of how utterly gorgeous it is and you know it does give me that visceral cool thing moment to moment it's always big there's always some cool thing there's always something that's going to explode right next to me because uh (laughs) you know the jeep and you think you're free nope the jeep explodes of course because this is a call of duty game we're on that crazy over the top roller coaster and i guess it you know it it hasn't disappointed me quite as much as it disappoints you, Christian. But I also, it's not going to be my favorite game of the year. It is It is just a fun a fun theme park ride. It is, that's what I go to these for. And I, I'm finding it to be satisfying on that way. The, the guns are all cool. The moments are cool. The visuals are cool. Good enough for me. <clears throat> but again, most people play these this franchise for the multiplayer anyway. And neither you or I is really... Yeah. Uh, giving a, a fair specimen. I would that, love so. a listener to to write in um, and and really For kind sure. of create, provide that review because it is something that 
you know, neither one of us will be able to really critique, or maybe in the future we can get a guest as this game continues to build. Cause it is fascinating to me that, you know, last year was, there was no single player and this year it's, I mean, this is a big, you know, expensive single player. I don't want to dismiss this as like being poorly made. It is polished. I mean, it, it, it's very much what I think you should expect from a call of duty single player. I, I just want it to be more. Um, yeah. I mean, it's unbelievable. Like the level of detail in every single thing is just, yeah. so I'm super man, curious crazy. what m- multiplayer mode finds legs and becomes the thing for the next, you know, 12 to 18 months, because they've said no loot boxes and it seems like they're committing to doing it the air quote right way. So I'd love, you know, if a listener had a strong opinion about why they think it succeeds or fails, I think it'd be fascinating. Are there any um, mechanical, you know, from the gameplay side, mechanical additions or differences from, from last year, or, or is it, is it pretty, pretty typical and multiplayer it's i mean maybe in the multiplayer yeah very different modes guns kind of progressing last year was so much just um uh battle royale and then zombies single player yeah there's as far as i can tell no discernible difference between original modern warfare run up to the thing that you need to do push the button to do it and then while shoot everything that you can yeah yeah (laughs) so that's fun yeah Um, what it is yeah yeah, it is what it is and I, I think interestingly too, Christian, between this and control, which I still haven't played yet, but um I think you in particular and both of us are sold on ray tracing, right? I mean if, if ray tracing is gonna be a cornerstone of the next gen consoles, I think we were a little skeptical about how big of a deal it was gonna be when we were looking at Tomb Raider and some of the early ray tracing games. It was like, is it even that big of a deal? But it I think it's a big if, deal. If ray tracing, if sorry, if ray tracing is next gen, yeah. If next gen is ray tracing in no load times, sign me the expletive up. You know, <laughs> right? I mean, I think yeah. I think between this and control, yeah. The, I'm 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 yes. sold. All right. Well, uh, we're getting close to the end here, but I do want to carve out a little bit of tabletop time because Tim is here, and we don't always have. Uh, board game players to talk to. So we're going to just do a quick tabletop time right now. So Tim, you have brought some stuff to the table recently, right? Yeah. Yeah. This will, this will definitely be quick. I I only got to play each of these once. So Jeff might have to help me uh, explain them for those who haven't played them before, but I just wanted to some quick shout outs. Um, First, I got to play a card game called gloom. Um, I don't remember if Jeff's talked about it on the cast before, but um, it's a, it's a cool, it's a cool card game kind of the art style. I wanted to talk about quickly first, because it's got this sort of Edward Gorey kind of, feeling do you do you agree jeff it's kind of got that oh, feel yeah. to it it's great i mean it's a perfect game for halloween spooky time yeah yeah know. yeah and i guess the the generally the the point of the game is you're trying to kill your family off what um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i thought yeah. explicit that, but yes yeah i mean it's it's, it's like hey kill your family and win yeah. it, but it but yes i mean it's and, very it's sort of adam's family or like yeah. it's it's tongue-in-cheek horror yeah. with you know as you like Edward Gorey or kind of a, 
you know, the, the macabre as the punchline kind of thing. Yeah. And there's, you know, it's, it's the tongue in cheek for sure. I mean, it, it is very much like if Edward Gorey did a, you know, a, a tabletop card game, um, both in art, but also in kind of tone, but the cards are really cool. Cause they have their, there are a lot of the cards are transparent. So like the mutators, you put the card on top of your, you know, of your, your cards that are down on the table and it changes the nature of the card. And so you can actually put transparent cards on top of other people's cards too, to kind of, change the point values and stuff so um and then each i think what you do is you pick you pick your essentially your family so they have kind of like um um, macabre uh, themed families of different what so there's like an adam's family kind of riff and then there's you know different kind of archetypes of like horror families if you will kind of still tongue-in-cheek and humorous and so you pick your family and you're kind of pitted against the other so it's 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 a very cool unexpected um game for me and someone suggested it um and then the next one i wanted to mention really quick was which i know jeff recommends a lot um over the over the years and i know it's kind of heralded as one of the better games um, kind of in existence, but I finally got to play Splendor. I don't know why it's mm-hmm. taken me that long, um, this long to play it, but that game is amazing. Um, okay. It's just so, so, yeah, it's simple. I, I guess I never really knew what it was, what kind of game it was going to be. And I guess I was a little bit intimidated by playing it. That's why it's taken me so long. Um, but it's very simple. And for anyone, yeah, for anyone who's, cause I'm, I don't, I wouldn't consider myself a huge board gamer cause I just don't have the, the group to play with, but I do occasionally get in there. And when I did finally get to play this one, it definitely lived up to the, the hype when it comes to its simplicity and just anyone can kind of play it. Um, I did win. So uh, oh, nice. that probably helped. Um, <laughs> But uh, yeah, that's an amazing little game. And then we played um, Castle Panic, which was essentially um, a tower defense board game, co-op. Um, and, you know, um, orcs uh, charging a tower. <laughs> so pretty standard fare there. But um, pr- pretty cool mechanics with the different classes of both heroes and orcs. Um, and I, I, I definitely appreciate um, co-op games quite a bit. So that's why I wanted to mention that one for anyone who's looking to play that. Definitely definitely cooperate. That would be my suggestion to you when you play that game. <laughs> Work yeah. together. Um, but yeah, there's a great... Uh, um, there's a great... Jeff, have you ever been to Mox Boarding House up in Seattle? I forget. I haven't. I've heard of it, but I've never been able to make it there. No. There's two of them up here. So anyone in the Seattle area, if you're if you're look if you're even even if you're not a big board gamer, but you want to be or you want to kind of just go and meet people, um, they're they're amazing kind of restaurants slash board game uh, shops where you basically can go and eat, but then you can for free rent any of the games they have, and then if you buy the game when you uh, when you leave, you get ten percent off. So it's been a great way for me to you know grab some friends and play, and we kind of just converge there. But um, yeah, so anyway, that's my mini tabletop time. That's great. Yeah, no, Splendor is an easy recommend uh, for anybody, especially, you know, the thing I get asked most often for people looking to get into board games is like, do you have anything that's great for two people? My my wife or my husband and I want to want to do a, just a couple's mm. game. And I think Splendor isn't a, isn't just a two player game. You can play it with with more, but it's great with two. Uh, and the pieces are real chunky and, and thick and it's an easy game to learn. I think that you, you build this little economic engine and there's lots of different ways to, to attempt to do it. Uh, the, it is sets up fast, plays fast as well. Yeah. Um, it, it's a great, great little game. Splendor. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Very, very cool. All right. Well, that is going to do it for this episode of DLC. We do have a parting gift coming up, so stick around for that. 
But Tim Longo, thank you so much for being here, man. What a pleasure. And it's always so fun to hear your take on stuff. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Um, where can people keep up with you and your podcast and all your goings on online? Um, I'm uh, on Twitter. I'm Tim Longo Jr. with a JR at the end. Um, and uh, our podcast is Dev Game Club um, at Dev, Dev Game Club uh, on Twitter and devgameclub.com. Um, it's like we said, it's a. Uh, Two uh, veteran game developers uh, talking about games and playing old stuff. And uh, so if we, if we play a game that is near and dear to your heart from your past, um, definitely check out those episodes. And like I said, we try to get um, when we can, we try to get somebody, a developer who worked on the, the game to come on and talk about their experiences. So it's we do it on the side. It's just for fun um, and just for the love of the craft, I guess, if you if you will. So, um, yeah, that's where you can find us. It feels to me a little bit like GDC all year round. It's yeah. like, uh, really great. <laughs> wow. I love that's it. flattering. Yeah, that's uh, great. And I should mention Brett Duville is my, uh, is my co-host. So uh, um, he's out there too. Yeah. Christian Spicer, what about you? What do you got going on this week? Twitter's the best way to see uh, if I'm doing any shows in LA. Like last week, I ended up doing a uh, run of shows at the weekend at the ice house. Uh, that was a lot of fun. And Twitter was where Pete, you found out about that. That is at Spicer. I stream this show usually, speaking about game delay, sometimes this show gets delayed and we stream later or record later or earlier, uh, but usually it's Sundays at 7.15 p.m. Pacific and you can hang live with us at what? Sometimes it gets delayed till yeah. May. You know? <laughs> Next episode will be in May. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you can hang live with us at twitch.tv slash Christian Spicer if you'd like. And then... Uh, couple more games right i'm still i'm still world world series focused at this point so that's going to be hanging the on, bulk man. of my week hanging yeah. on. what about you jeff yeah. i thought it was going to be over fast not so um with me you can follow me on twitter i'm at jeff canada which is spelled with two n's and one t and i have some other shows for you to check out if you want to hear me talk about movies and tv shows check out the slash Filmcast. that's at slash filmcast.com uh, this week we are talking about, we're talking about, Ooh, parasite. That'd be an interesting discussion. Mm. So, uh, check that out. Uh, you can also listen to me weave my own tale my own, uh, create my own world of fantasy, uh, in dungeons and dragons on a show called the dungeon run. Uh, and you can find that on, uh, as a podcast, anywhere you get podcasts, uh, by searching for the dungeon run or on YouTube as a video on demand and you can find that by searching for the dungeon run there as well uh, but we record them live and stream them on a service called caffeine uh, those are wednesday nights at 6 p.m pacific time and you can find that at caffeine.tv slash the dungeon run all right let's wrap the show up now with our parting gifts Tim, do you have a suggestion to help people get through their week? I do. Um, I'm. <clears throat> I think I'm late to the party on this um, by quite a bit, but I've uh, discovered recently the band First Aid Kit, um, a duo, two sisters, Swedish sisters, who are kind of folk rock, folk um, kind of um, genre, but they are amazing. So if you haven't heard First Aid Kit, they're just their their voices are amazing. Their talent is amazing. And um, I've kind of been into folk and folk rock lately. So uh, when I found them just kind of accidentally, um, they've they've been around for quite a while, but uh, they have 
an amazing um, cover of America, um, Simon and Garfunkel, um, as well, as well as um, yeah, their 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 original stuff is is great. So first aid kit, I would recommend. Awesome! I will be googling that right after this. Uh, Christian Spicer parting gift. It's a spice man recommendation. It's it's pumpkin seed season. We uh, carved oh. a big old pumpkin today and roasted them seeds. They are so delicious. I love pumpkin seeds. They're you know. How'd you do it, man? What's your uh, what's your secret recipe? It's, it's not. A, it's it's very simple. We're very straightforward. It's salt, pepper, and um, garlic powder, and that's really all she wrote. Those are the, uh, the spices. Yeah. Oh, it's infectious. It got you. Got you. <laughs> I'm just wondering what. I was just curious about which spices you put on it. <laughs> that, yeah, those be them. Really, sometimes some uh, a little. You might actually do like a little spice, like a little red pepper, like, something like that. But these were kid friendly, um, so we left that out. And you know, yeah, they get stuck in your teeth because you eat the shell. It's not like a sunflower seed where you're popping them and eating just the seed inside. But just roast them. It's easy, easy breezy. Carve a pumpkin. Have fun. You know, this is the week Halloween. Next week after Halloween, make some pumpkin bread. I'm sure I'll talk about that. Uh, pumpkin pancakes, delicious. And when you're doing that, getting all that ready, the easiest thing you can make from a pumpkin are pumpkin seeds. Uh, it's silly. It's it is trite. It's it's a tradition for a reason. I encourage you to take the time to do it. They're great. I love them. Me too. I didn't do them this year. I don't know. I'm gonna want to do them. <laughs> I didn't have any. <laughs> uh, we got a listener suggested parting gift. This comes to us at dlcfeedback at gmail dot com. Uh, this comes from listener Jason, who says, "Hi guys, love your show. Been an avid Monday morning listener for nearly the past year. Kudos to my brother Mike for turning me onto this. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate that. Word of mouth, our best friend." Uh, Jason continues, my wife and I very much appreciated a previous parting gift from Jeff to watch Working Moms. Uh, As parents of young kids, this was hilarious and true to reality for the most part. Plus, I love your promoting Canadian content. I thought I'd return the favor and provide my own recommendation, Year and Years. This is a Studio Canal HBO joint venture that is basically Black Mirror but with the technology elements for the most part in the background. Instead, over six Instead, over six episodes, I like snack-sized shows, we follow a family over 15 years from 2019 onwards. There's a focus on political elements, but what I think you'll enjoy are the nods to the evolution of technology happening around the Lions family, from the use of Signor, an Alexa placeholder, to wearable integrated peripherals, to VR headsets worn at nearly all times by the kids, uh, tablets of the future. The story is heartwarming and feels true to life, even if a bit tried at times. I hope you'll give it a try. I'm sure you'll enjoy. Very cool, Jason. Uh, I have not watched Year and Years, but I will give it a shot. Uh, Jason doesn't say where you can find it, but um, I will have to Google that. Year and Years is the show, a Canadian show. My parting gift is also going to be food, like Christian's was. Uh, I went to a really cool meal. It was, it was quite expensive, but uh, it was something my wife and I had been planning to do for quite a long time. Uh, We had to change the date, but this is a, a company called outstanding in the field. And it is like a pop-up one night only meal, usually in the field of a farm. And they have big celebrity guest chefs that come and cook the meal. And 
it's it is the the kind of the gimmick of it is that it's one big huge long table sometimes it's on the beach sometimes it's in an orchard sometimes it's who knows where it's all over the, they pop them up they do them all across the country up into canada even internationally they're doing ones in australia and sweden same company outstanding in the field and we we went to one in temecula california here and uh it was awesome you bring your own plates that's kind of another gimmicky thing where you bring your plate and so everybody brings their plates and you come and you sit down and invariably you're sitting next to people you've never met and you're having this amazing food that was locally sourced by all the farmers in the area and you kind of learn about the food and it's delicious and everybody's sharing it's all family style uh so you're you're interacting with the people around you it was really cool and a lovely evening uh, outside, sitting outside. We were sitting in a in a in an olive orchard underneath the olive trees. We had amazing olive oil that was made that day. It was cool. Hmm. And it's it's very expensive, but um, I, we had a great time. And for a you know, we we actually gave one of these to my mom for a gift as well. She had a great time, and so for a. Uh, you know, a kind of a splurgy kind of anniversary gift, which is what ours was. I would highly recommend it. Outstanding in the field is the name of the company. And uh, again, there's, there's lots of them all over the country. There's like the 96th one they'd done in 2019. So lots of, lots of them. All right. That's going to do it for this episode of DLC. Thanks again to Tim Longo and Christian Spicer for hanging out with me. Thanks to our musical contributors, Patrick L, Sean Madigan and Zero Star. Thanks to all the folks in our chat room for hanging out with us in real time. I see you guys. Uh, Red Sky 03, Shareable Texas, uh, lots of others. Thanks, uh, thanks for being here. Thanks to all of you who download our show. Uh, thanks to Mike for recommending Jason. And I hope you can be like Mike and recommend our show to a friend or family member as well. We appreciate that. We'll see you next week where I get to talk about Death Stranding. So I'm very excited. Uh, until then. Think about what you put out into the world. Make it a better place.